about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Thanks, Elizabeth, for reading that passage, which is the second last in our series on Philippians. It's printed on the white sheets you got on the way in. There's a sermon outline there as well. Um, I hope you can join us next week as we finish it up too. Let's begin then. These are not peaceful times. They were meant to be. Now, when the Cold War ended and the imminent threat of nuclear annihilation dissipated, even if the bombs didn't go away, many people thought that a peaceful new world order had arrived. But it didn't work out. Liberal democracies turned out not to be as secure or untouchable as they imagined themselves. Terrorism plunged us into decades of war and fear that we're still still not at the end of. America's still exiting Afghanistan. And rivals to the West's supremacy emerged, most obviously China. I'm not trying to make any kind of uh, particular political points here tonight, by the way. Just, Just trying to do a snapshot of geopolitics. China, who, contrary to expectations was not transformed by the internet into an open liberal society and now is flexing its muscles. I mean, thank God we don't have proper war, we don't have all-out war, things could be terribly, terribly worse. And yet, America at least, and its allies, are fighting, fighting all the time. More importantly, perhaps, and much closer to us here, It's also not a time of peace within our societies. Survey after survey, election after election reports increasing polarisation, 
Compulsory voting spares us the worst of it in Australia because it drives the major parties to the centre ground. But let's not kid ourselves. Our society is, is, is rent by deep divides, deep disagreements about profoundly important questions. Politics is an angry, vicious business where there is no longer any agreement even about basic facts sometimes. Moments of ordinary politeness are now noteworthy news events. Social media has not helped, to say the least. More and more we are drawn into self-reinforcing information ecosystems. And they work by agitating our fears and frustrations. There is a lot of anger around, isn't there? A lot of outrage, a lot of attack, not a lot of patience and giving the benefit of the doubt. It is a world of triggers. Do you remember, you, you maybe some of you will be too young to remember, but I remember, do you remember when Facebook had a poke button and you could poke people? Uh, if you don't remember, the good old days on Facebook. Now you think they got rid of that button, right? You think they got rid of it, but actually it just became the business model. Constant, unrelenting poking of each other. If, okay, you were laughing because maybe there was innuendo with that. I just mean it was kind of meant to irritate you. We're all irritating each other on social media all the time. And they've worked out that that sells. That makes it turn around and keep turning and turning if they keep pushing on our, the things that agitate us. And this has all begun, begun to enter into us, hasn't it? And enter into our homes. Sometimes in the midst of my home life, I make the mistake of looking at my phone and I see something that provokes me and I'll think I can ignore it, but now part of my brain is ticking away and I'm a bit distracted and suddenly I'm more irritable with those around me. Do you know what that's like? That's not peace. Unless we are very careful, very deliberate, this culture of war will form us as people who are ready for battle. We will become fighters, always on edge, and this will find its way into the church. When disagreements and troubles arise, we will no longer be able to listen, to hear, to think. We will just know how to fire back. I wonder how far along that path you think we are already. But there is an alternative. There is an alternative. And the passage before us shows it to us. It shows us how the church can become a school of peace. A school of way of operating and interacting that is totally different from the world around us. And perhaps if we are willing to enter that school and learn its ways, perhaps we will become an immense blessing to the world around us. So come with me then to Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. These verses are often seen as separate sections. Uh, the, the NIV, if you're looking at it there, actually puts a heading in between these sections. But I think the ideas actually belong together. I think Paul knew what he was doing when he wrote things this way. It wasn't an accident. 
First, we see Paul address a particular conflict in the church at Philippi and call for peace. It reminds us that disagreements can be overcome. And then we see Paul broaden out to talk about what I want to call this evening the ways of peace. We see here the habits of heart and mind that make for peace. Okay, so first, point one, a call for peace. In verses two and three, Paul calls two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Let's just be honest, that second name is not easy for us. Sounds like a piece of software. Uh, But, you know, it's a real name. She was a real person, probably a quite cool person. He calls these two people to be at peace, to come together. He addresses them each individually. I plead with Euodia. And I plead with Sintiki. And he calls them to be of the same mind. This is a phrase Paul has used a number of times in Philippians. uh, Back in chapter 2 particularly. And in a way the whole letter is concerned for the church to come together through Jesus shaped thinking. And here Paul applies this to a specific falling out between two people. Now, we don't know what the issue was or who these people were. What we know is that Paul called them to come to a common mind. And we've got to notice this. As we've already talked about, all around us, the world is full of despair about the possibility of this happening. The idea of coming together, of resolving conflicts, of coming to a common mind, so often today that seems like a fairy tale. But not to Paul. He is in earnest. It's a genuine path that lies before them. And he calls them to take it. And he says to others, help them take it. Be of the same mind. You might be called to do the same. This may be part of what your Christian discipleship looks like. Maybe even over the coming months. The church is meant to be, and it can be, a place where people change their minds, where differences are overcome. Like I said, church is meant to be a school for learning strange new habits. But how is this really possible? How is this really possible? How can Euodia and Syntyche do it? How can we do it? Well, we see the beginning in the way Paul reminds the people he's talking to why they all ought to matter to each other. These women, he says, they contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, and their names, like yours, he says to everyone involved, are written in the book of life. It's so easy to lose sight of the dignity of another person when you're in conflict with them. Paul begins to open up that closed spiral, just kind of prise it open by reminding them both that these people are precious to him and both of them matter to God. They're not allowed to hide behind the excuse that she's not really a Christian. No, their names are in the book of life, he says. I wonder if there's anyone you need to remember these things about too. This is how peace begins. But it's also, how, it's also only how it begins. 
being at peace and remaining at peace and being people of peace is actually really hard. It requires discipline and commitment. And this, I think, is why Paul goes on now to describe a set of habits and patterns of life that make us the kind of people who can seek and sustain peace. So we're up to the second part, the ways of peace, point two. Verses four to nine, or parts of them, may be quite familiar to some of us. Probably not all of us, but some of us will have seen them before because these are verses that often get put on bookmarks or become school mottos and things. Anybody here? Was it anybody here's school motto? Any Abbotsley girls? It's Abbotsley's, or not motto, it's their school verse or something. Anyway, that's a bit disappointing to be honest, but fair enough. They get made into bookmarks for a reason though. That's because they're really beautiful. Wonderful verses. These are beautiful words. But because of that, it's really easy for these words to just slide over us. Oh, isn't that nice? And not get any traction in our lives. So how can we get to grips with them? Well, one way, I think, is to ask why Paul put these words at this point. Why is this the moment he decides to say these things? And I think it has to do with what he's just said about Euodia and Syntyche. You see, these practices are not just good individual spiritual disciplines. They are that, but they're not just that. They're also habits that help us to live at peace with each other. These are words to help us live together, to help you live with others. They're words to help you live with your housemates or your friends or perhaps your partner, maybe one day your children. They help me live with my children. I think what Paul is doing here is describing patterns of life that will enable us to be with one another, with all the stress and anxiety that that inevitably brings, in a way that is full of life and grace, and without losing ourselves in the process. What Paul says falls into two parts that we can call habits of heart, in verses 4 to 7, and then habits of mind. The distinction is not quite that clean cut, but it will do. It will serve us well. These are the habits of, of heart and mind that we need to be people of peace, at peace within ourselves and also with others. So let's have a look at them in turn. First, in verses 4 to 7, Paul talks about what I'll call habits of heart. Let's read them again, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we observed before, the world we live in is just full of fearful self-defense. What we read here is the polar opposite of that. Instead of fear, we are called to joy. Instead of reactivity and attack, we are called to gentleness. It's a posture of peace. The anxiety Paul has in mind, uh, I think, is not 
mainly the kind of personal worry and anxiousness that can become a mental health condition. These words may be relevant to that, but I think what Paul is mainly focused on is the anxiety that flows around relationships and systems. The anxiety that can fill an extended family Christmas with landmines or a church meeting with unexpected reactivity. That didn't actually happen today, but there was almost a moment of it at the meeting. This is about the worries that come from life together, the way we react to each other. Don't be driven by those fears and worries we are told here. There is a better way. It is the way of rejoicing and gentleness and prayer with thanksgiving. Now, what makes this different, peaceable way possible? Paul tells us, it is the nearness of the gracious God. The Lord is near, he says. And that is good news. News that can calm us, can calm our fears, give us a new stability. We can, we can get off the death spiral of anxiety and reaction, fear and attack. Because we can turn in thankful prayer to God who is near to us and who is full of goodness and grace towards us. His peace can guard us, can guard our hearts and minds. And when your hearts and minds are guarded by the peace of God, you don't need to guard them so anxiously yourself. What Paul's doing here, I think, is is inviting us into a place of rest and peace that is opened up by the gospel, by the knowledge that we have because of what Jesus has done, that God is good to us, that he is near to us, that he is really there and that he loves us. And when you enter that space, then a, a better way to be in this world, to be with one another, even in the midst of anxiety and frustration, a better way opens up. Because in every situation, at every moment, even the most frightening and frustrating, we can rejoice because he is near. And we can choose gentleness instead of fierceness. Can I invite you, friends, especially if you are struggling with anger or frustration or anxiety in your relationships. Can I invite you to take these words to heart? Start to say them to yourself. Memorize them, especially if you are aware that you are on the way to becoming a fighter and not a gentle person. Turn to these words because God has come near to us in grace, not so that we can become warriors, angry, ready to attack, but so that we can be people of peace. It's a much more pleasant way to be as well. There are lots more things we could talk about here, uh, things you may want to follow up one-to-one uh, -one with someone. But we need to move on to observe the second part of what Paul says here, which I'll call habits of mind. We're in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, I think Paul hasn't forgotten relationships at this point. He hasn't moved on from the issue of Euodia and Syntyche completely. What he's talking about here is not just a personal spiritual discipline, but it's something actually that can help us be at peace with one another. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that when he says, think about such things, he's not just talking about thinking about good and noble and true things in the abstract. He's also, he also means think about these things in other people. To put it bluntly, I think part of what he wants is for us to learn sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes to focus on the good qualities of each other, especially when we're in conflict. He wants Euodia and Syntyche to see and pay attention to the good things about each other, like the ones that he's mentioned, that their names are in the book of life, so that they can move towards one another again. You can actually do this very deliberately. I have a good friend who once was deeply at odds with a work colleague and who forced himself to write down in as much detail as he could that the other person's good qualities... He said it was very difficult. But his testimony is also that it gave him enough grace towards that person. It opened up, it opened up enough space that things shifted. He started to see their fight more as a difference of view than as a battle. It didn't mean he ignored it. He actually, in the end, chose to, to move jobs, but it changed the character of it for him. Is this a habit of mind you need? The discipline of paying attention to the good, to whatever is lovely and admirable and praiseworthy, even in someone you don't like very much at the moment? Uh, Before I move on, I do want to stress that this needs to be applied with some pastoral care because there are some situations in which it clearly doesn't apply, uh, such as most present to our minds, situations of uh, violence and abuse, right? Uh, These words should not be taken as a way of minimizing evil things. Uh, I think Paul has partly this particular situation in mind of these two, I assume, quite equal and conflicted people, and he says, you guys got to see each other again. Uh, But one of the things he says to focus on is what is true, Right? We need to be people who tell the truth. And so I don't want for a second to advocate using these words to minimize evil. Evil needs to be called for what it is. I also want to say, though, that this habit is not just about relationships. I think Paul has them in mind, but I think he also wants this to be a, a general mode of life as well. I think we are encouraged here simply to pay attention to, to actively think about good things sometimes. 
And I think Paul is saying that that will form us as the kind of people who make for peace. To illustrate, I'd like to tell you about my grandfather, who died a few years ago. Uh, I, I miss him. Um, I t- told this story this morning, and my mum was in church, and I cried uh, because I just kind of suddenly realised that she was there. Um, you know, my grandfather, he had seen terrible things. He was an aid post sergeant throughout most of the Second World War in North Africa and New Guinea. Uh, you don't, at, at the ripe old age of 18 or 19, you don't do that without seeing some mess. Most of his friends were killed in the war, and he spent the rest of his life trying to be a person who made for peace. He didn't run from the mess and complexity of life. He was a psychiatrist and spent decades counselling all sorts of difficult, traumatised people, but especially Vietnam War veterans. But he also made a conscious effort to focus on what was good. I remember him on countless occasions washing up while listening to hymns, always the same hymns. He had this set of tapes and a tape recorder. You remember tapes? And he just put them in for for decades. He listened to these songs of praise recordings. He was relentlessly positive, even about my my grandmother's cooking, which was a real moral achievement. Unless it was cricket or landline or ABC rugby, he didn't watch TV, but instead would retreat and listen to music, often hymns, or read something. I think he tried to fill his mind very deliberately with things that were true and just and good. Brothers and sisters, what are you thinking about? That does not deserve your attention. What is filling your mind during the day and in the evenings? What kind of person are you training yourself to become? These are the habits of heart and of mind that will make us people of peace, says the Apostle. These are patterns that can open up a different way of being in the world than the one we learn so easily otherwise, the way of defense and attack, of anger and judgment. Let's finish, though, by reminding ourselves again of what makes all this possible. Because if all we get from this passage is just a a to-do list, a list of things we have to do, then it won't have done its work. What we must also see is that these practices, these habits of heart and mind, they flow out of a new awareness. An awareness of what? Of the presence of the God who is the God of peace. All through this passage, as we've seen, Paul anchors what he's saying with reminders about God and how God is towards us. Did you notice? The Lord is near, verse 5. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, verse 7. The God of peace will be with you, verse 9. What makes these different ways of operating possible, you see, is an abiding consciousness of the nearness and presence of the God who is the God of peace, who overflows with peace because he has peace 
in Himself. And it is the confidence and security of that incredible truth that will turn our hearts from fear and anger to trust and joy and gentleness. And it will turn our minds to what is good and true. God is the God of peace. And His peace can fill and guard our hearts and minds. I don't know if you've, you've noticed before how often the Bible, and especially the Apostle Paul, talks about peace, but it's everywhere. Grace and peace is how Paul almost always begins his letters. One of his summaries of the story of Jesus is, he came and preached peace. Why is that? Why is that? It's because the gospel is the story of how the peace of God triumphed over humanity's violence and fear and war against him. On the cross, God enveloped all the world's hatred and fear and hostility. He enveloped it in the infinite peace of divine love. He burnt up, God burnt up all our envy and fearful self-protection. He burnt it up in the, the white hot heat of the Father's love for the Son in the Holy Spirit. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was the victory of that peace over the world's nihilism and opposition to Him. Standing in our place, Jesus drew upon Himself all our passion to tear ourselves apart so that we might be drawn into and live within the peace of God that passes all understanding. Though we were determined to fight, God drew us back to himself in peace. And that, friends, is why the ways of peace are open to us even now, even in the midst of this world exploding with indignation and vengefulness. The ways of peace are open because the Lord is near to us in blessing and he is full, wonderfully, infinitely full of peace. That God is near to you. He's there for you. You can pray to him as your infinite, in, intimate friend. That God So let's go down those ways of peace together. Let's make it our passion to be people through whom the perfect peace of God flows into the world like a, like a river released into the desert. Let's pray. Lord, you are the God of peace the God of perfect life and fullness. You are forever calm in the completeness of love, unshaken. You are never caught off guard, never out of control. You never have things to regret. Always and forever you are full of joy and gentleness. 
and yet you were shaken for us, broken for us. You opened your peace up to our war and you knew its darkness. But still your peace was not overcome, but it overcame and opened up to us the way of life. Enfold us in that victory this evening, Lord, and take us down this way. Give us the joy that comes from knowing you so that our lives are filled with gentleness towards others. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is our peace. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.